My name's Sebastian Major, and I am the host of the Our Fake History podcast. I'm Rebecca Larson with the Tudors Dynasty podcast. This is Greta Harden. My name is Benjamin Jacobs. I'm Anton. And I'm Rick. I'm David Montgomery. I'm Brief. My name is Roberto Toro. I'm Jamie. And I'm Rob. We will be speaking at Intelligent Speech. I am looking forward to speaking at Intelligent Speech 2023. I will be speaking at Intelligent Speech online this year. Mark your calendars for this November 4th. Intelligent Speech, the online conference for history fans by history podcasters. It's a three-ring circus of fascinating content with around 24 hours of live presentations. This year is all about contingencies. Times when history meets the unexpected. The topic of my keynote address is no contingencies. The tutors and their contingency plans. So go to intelligencespeechonline.com to get your tickets. We'll see everybody on November 4th. I'm Roberto. And I'm Brendan. And together, we're ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin. This week, Vladimir Monomak. And before we jump into today's episode, we want to tell you that we're part of Intelligent Speech. We will once again be participating at the Intelligent Speech Conference this year on November 4th from 10 a.m., to 6 p.m. EST, and we will be presenting on a topic within the Soviet sphere. Use the code ZAR for a 10% discount, and if you buy before October 1st, you only pay $20 plus a 10% discount. The code is TSAR for ZAR. And then we also want to let you know about the Siècle podcast, too, while we're at it. Is that how you say it? I thought it was Le Siècle. Well, you know, Siècle, Siècle. I'm reading it as an Englishman. You're not though cuban (laughs) (laughs) the battle of waterloo of 1815 was one of the most famous turning points in world history so didn't you ever wonder what happened after napoleon was carted away to saint helena my name's david montgomery and i'm the host of the siècle a history podcast that tackles exactly that join me as i cover france's overlooked century in between napoleon and world war one for rigged elections and shadowy conspiracies, for murder at the opera and terror in the streets, and so, so many revolutions. The Siècle is spelled S-I-E-C-L-E and can be found wherever you get podcasts. You can also visit thesiècle.com, where I post full annotated transcripts of every episode with sources, pictures, and maps. Don't miss the show, reviews have praised as authoritative and intelligent, with great writing and great narration, and, last but not least, a theme song that slaps. Now, back to your regularly scheduled podcast. I really enjoyed listening to David's podcast, and every time I listen, I wonder if I want to drink a nice bourbon or a polignac cognac. Make sure to give him a listen, and if you really want to dig into the sources that he has, he does this awesome thing where he heavily footnotes his transcripts rather heavily and actually publishes them for your use. So check out Le Siècle, or the Siècle. He says the Siècle podcast on his show, so. Ah, uh, Okay. Then I was the one who was wrong. Yeah, so now let's actually get into the uh, the nitty-gritty of this episode. 
So uh, just so everyone knows, I am using a PowerPoint to kind of help Brendan remember names, see how they're spelled, and kind of go through, because there's going to be a bunch of similar names in this episode. And also, we'll have a family tree. If you want to see the PowerPoint, it's on the website. I did not reference it in my script at all, but it will also have maps and everything. So just feel free to look through it. I'll post a bunch of everything on there. Yeah, Roberto knows that I have the uh, attention span of a goldfish, so it's a lot of help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brendan, are you ready for the etymology for Vladimir Monomach? Well, I kind of have an idea. I think I remember what Vladimir means, but run it by me anyway. What do you think Vladimir means? Well, I know Slav means glory, so it's not glory. Doesn't it mean something like noble or handsome? It does not, no. What does it mean? So Vladimir means ruler of the world ah okay and monomach is something interesting because it comes from the greek uh monomachos and can you guess what that means i mean i already saw means he who fights alone okay actually i was thinking vladimir is related to the word for king i was gonna say means king but that seemed a little on the nose so i guess i should have gone with my first instinct yeah king is carol after carl so Mm -hmm. Or the Knyaz is also another thing. Uh, the Russian Empire History Podcast actually has a nice thing where, yeah, the Russian word for prince actually just means king. It's just everyone associates it with prince because the word Karol became a thing associated with kings because, you know, Karl the Great, Charles the Great. Yeah, that mm -hmm. fun stuff. Let's dig into Vladimir's life. Or we're going to call him Monomak as we usually do because... It's such so much more different than having to call someone Vladimir when there's like a bunch of Vladimirs in this podcast. Mm. Well, Vladimir Monomak was born in 1053 to the Prince of Periaslavov, Sievolod Yaroslavich, who later became the Grand Prince of Kiev and his wife, the Byzantine Princess Anastasia Monomakina, who is the daughter of Emperor Constantine IX Monomakos. Uh, so you can say he was pretty much destined to become a grand prince, being of that noble stock. Mm -hmm. So, and then the funny thing is, you wonder why he's not Vladimir Vsevolodovich, though? Why? Because his, probably because his mother is more prominent. His mo well, his mother's, like, origins are more prominent. And in Byzantine practice, or at least contemporarily at the time, um, it allowed for a child to take their mother's name if the mo if the mother is considered to be more like noble than their father, and because you know she's the daughter of an emperor, it was like yeah he can be Vladimir Monomak and not Vladimir Vsevolodovich. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because I know that was also practiced in uh, ancient and medieval Scandinavia. Loki, the god Loki, is called Lavoison, but Lavoi was not his father lavoy was the name of his mother and there's a lot of speculation around why that is he took that name but one of the main ones is is that perhaps lavoy was more prominent than his father and he wanted to claim that ancestry over the ancestry of his father possibly i mean this is more greek so that could also just be hey my family's famous so well yeah but it's also in russian society well, it's because she's Greek. So, and then like Sievolod was also trying to capture some of that glory. You'll see the capturing glory to be a theme here. Mm -hmm. Well, how much do you think we know about his childhood? Probably not that much. We don't know too much about it at all, but we do happen to know who he got married to once he turned 16. Who's that? Uh, her name is Githa of Wessex, and she's one of the daughters of Harold Godwinson, 
king of England, uh, right before William the Conquering Bastard made uh, arrived to the island. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So we're, uh, actually, we're going to talk about her for a bit because you know, got to figure out how did she get there because you know, it's how did an English princess get to Russia or Ukraine rather at this point? Well, yeah. What today is Ukraine? Well, after her father's defeat and death in 1066, Getha, along with her brother Magnus Godwinson, fled to the court of King Swain Estridson of Denmark. Yes, Denmark. I got it right this time, guys. I looked it up. Um, we have learned from our mistakes, Danish listeners. I haven't. <laughs> well, Magnus Godwinson used Denmark as his base of operations and went to do work with the Polish army under Boleslav II. Uh, we he's Bolasov the Brave. We saw him in Izyaslav's episode, and wouldn't you know it? Guess who was in Poland at the time after being ousted from Kiev by Cieslav the Sorcerer and his people? I don't remember. Everybody gets exiled to Poland at some point. Uh, yes, it's Izyaslav. So Izyaslav's there. Is there only one Izyaslav? That's the real question. For now, right? Okay. <laughs> well, Izyaslav, who was the grand prince of Kiev, who was exiled by his own people after losing to the Cumans, uh, wanted to take his land back from Sieslav the Sorcerer. So he took a Polish army back to Kiev, and in that Polish army was Magnus Godwinson. Once Kiev had been taken by Izyaslav, Magnus negotiated his sister's marriage to Vladimir Monomak. So on this family tree, we see that Githa Wessex pops up. Um, a few years pass by from this marriage, and Vladimir Monomak is seen making peace with the Polish forces in Sutiesk, uh, solidifying his uncle Sietoslav II's reign in Kiev, and depriving his uncle Izislav of a chance to take Polish forces to retake Kiev. So this is where we kind of start seeing him doing a bit of diplomatic maneuvering, working for the Grand Princes, and actually being active in the ongoings of the princedom. And to kind of thank him for this, Sviatoslav II, um, who's Alieg's dad, then gives Smolensk to Monomak to kind of thank him for his efforts, saying, hey, now, buddy, this land is yours. You're a good nephew. Don't waste it. And then... Narrator. Uh, Vladimir wasted it. <laughs> narrator. He did not. Um, <laughs> well, the peace between the Rus forces and Poles did not last long, because guess who died? Between the... Sorry, the... What in the Poles? The Rus and the Poles. Oh, the Rus and the Poles. Uh, who died? Sviatoslav II. But Sviatoslav II. Because because of his death, the peace treaty that Monomak made was pretty much gone. And Izyaslav was able to take this to his advantage, leverage his Polish relatives to make a new army, and he went back to Rus to retake his throne for the second time. Sievolod, who was the Grand Prince of the time, um, and Monomak's dad marched towards Izyaslav's army, and he asked Monomak to grab his men from Smolensk and assist in the battle. Monomak, you know, he, he's a bit of a younger guy, so he was pretty eager for this fight, but was forced to sit around and chat with his friend and cousin, Alig of Chernigov, as Izyaslav and Sievolo diplomatically resolved their issues, and Izyaslav came out as the Grand Prince once more for the third time. Boo! Boo! Fight each other! Fight each other! <laughs> Literally, come on! Well, Monomach returned home from this really boring campaign, and when he entered his palace, he heard the sound of crying, wailing, sweat, and blood. He heard the sound of blood? Well, he smelt the smell. Ah, you're right. 
Uh, he <laughs> smelt sweat and blood and heard crying and wailing. And then the shushing and humming of his wife, Githa, as he entered her room, in her arms was his first son, Mstislav Vladimirovich. He's not Mono, he's not Mstislav Monomak. He he took this. It's like a surname now. So they're he, they're known as the Monomaki. Okay, so he's Mstislav Vladimirovich Monomak. Basically, but he's still a Rurik kid because he's descended from Rurik. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. It's just Russia. I would tell you to start writing names down, but we have a handy dandy PowerPoint you should check out. <laughs> well, after visiting his dad's new place in Chernigov, because guess what? Sievolod is now the grand, is now the prince of Chernigov, having ousted Alieg, basically. Modomak took this time to invite his ousted cousin Alieg to dinner at Chernigov in the Red Palace. Or if you go with the old Russian translation, the beautiful palace. So because red and uh, beautiful are the same word. Hmm. Krasny. Interesting. Yeah. So that says a lot about Russian culture. The color of blood and the word for beautiful is the same. Well, not anymore. They changed it, but it used to be the same. What is it now? Krasivi. So Krasivi is red? Krasivi is beautiful. Krasny is still red. Krasny. Okay. Yeah. Well, he invited his cousin Alieg to have dinner with him and his dad as a way to assuage Alieg's fury at having lost his own territory in Vladimir Volinsky. Uh, Alieg lost his, as we mentioned in his, in his episode, literally last episode, that because Isislav didn't like his family or his side of the family, he, he basically started removing all these Svetoslavici from their positions. And once Alieg came to Chernigov, he was basically put under house arrest. And he kept on pushing his claim on Chernigov quite frequently. And then after the dinner, Monomak went back to Smolensk. But he heard a knock on his door. Boom, 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 boom. Can you guess who it is? Who? It's our messenger, Igor. Oh, I see. And Igor mentions to Monomak, he goes, Sir, um, Alieg has escaped from Chernigov and is working with his cousin Boris to take over the city. Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah. yeah. This is our member because it just happened last episode. We've it has happened in literally every episode since since Easyoslav. <laughs> oh, a long time ago. <laughs> well, apparently Alieg and Boris took over Chernigov and kicked out Sievolod from the city. Well, Diemir looked over at his two-year-old son, Mrsislav, and then at his new son, Easyoslav, named after his uncle, smiled gently, picked up his sword, and called over his advisors and Drujina. They went to meet his father and uncle, and he then went to attack Chernigov. So he gets to fight now. Uh, Moromak was placed in charge of attacking the eastern entrance of Chernigov, and when he finally burst through the gates and cut down the defenders, he set the surrounding outer city ablaze. With his new entrance, he was able to take the city and then joined his father and uncle on the battlefield as Alieg and Boris returned to fight. The combat was fierce, and Moromak led his forces well, but Izyaslav and Boris were killed in the fight. His uncle Izyaslav, not his newborn son, <laughs> used to make, make sure of that. Uh, the fight favored Kiev and Chernigov. Alieg retreated and Sievolod returned to his city and Monomak went back to his. But um, Izyaslav's death caused a few changes in the hierarchy. Do you remember who became ruler after Izyaslav died the third time? Or after nope. he, he lost his throne the third time? After he died. Yeah, that's the thing. No. Well, it is Monomak's dad, Sievolod. The, mm. the last Yaroslavich and the new Grand Prince of Kiev, 
And he made his son and heir, Monomach, the prince of Cherdigov, with a brand new crib in the Red Palace. Monomach moved his family from Smolensk to Cherdigov, and wouldn't you know it, Alieg had a third son named Sviatoslav. Can you see that uh, these names are starting to repeat quite often? Yeah, I can see that. Well, it wasn't long before Sievolod, the Grand Prince, began to entrust Monomach with many of his battles and negotiations. So Monomach was going to be basically fighting all over the place. Uh, well, Sievolod was feeling his age, and he wanted to make sure that Monomach was well acquainted with ruling and battle. There was a group of nomadic Turks who went to attack Periaslavl, and Monomach was shipped there to defeat them along with his Drujina. And guess how hard this battle was? Seem, I'm going to say pretty easy for him. It was super easy. He went in, got the job done, and came back. And there was another surprise for him when he got back to Chernigov. Can you guess what it is? Somebody took his city? No. He had a fourth kid. Ah. Yarapol. See, in my defense, a lot of people lose and gain cities pretty rapidly in this show. You're right. You're very much right. Another few years pass, and guess who Monomach is seen playing with? Playing with uh, his fifth son. His fifth son, Vyakislav. That's a new name. Yeah, Vyakislav. <laughs> I like this one. Yeah. Remember, remember this name. It's important. Okay, I will. And while Monomach is playing with his fifth kid, guess who pops back and knocks on the door? I'm guessing another errant family member who needs him to fight a battle. Well, who? Not the not an errant family member. Who's in charge of the thing right now? Uh, Sievolod. Sievolod. Igor. His father. Yep. Sievolod is has sent another message to Monomach, because guess this time the brothers Vasilko and Volodar Rostislavich decided to attack Vladimir Volinsky and kick out the presiding prince Yaropok Izyaslavich, who was a son of Izyaslav. So Monomach handed Vyakoslav over to Githa, he got his Drujina and went to Vladimir Volinsky. He fought with the Rostislavichi and once again beat them rather easily and took the city back for his cousin. Um, and then, you know, he spent some time there and they became really good friends. Um, I gotta ask, what is a Drujina? So yeah, Drujina is like the fighting force, like the prince's personal fighting force. So army. Like a wear guild. That doesn't help. Uh, they're not a wear guild. Um, they're like the, like in Slavic cult, like in like, I know in Scandinavian culture and like old Anglo-Saxon England, they had like a group of men who the prince trusted that would fight for them. So they were like the cavalry men um, mm. and the horses and spears, basically. They were, the, they were the rich nobles who got to do the fun stuff. And then you had the poor peasants who got to, you know, march with spears. Mm. So. Yeah, they were the nobles who could afford horses and armor and so on. Exactly. So they're the ones who look nice on the battlefield and do a lot of fighting. Basically, they're knights, the knits. Monomak and Yaropoki Zyaslavich became really good friends. But Yaropok was a bit of upset about something. Because his dad was a grand prince. But he isn't. And his uncle's on the throne. So why do you think Yaropok is mad? Um, well, it seems Yaropok Izyaslavich is the son of one of the grand princes, one of the previous grand princes. But the current grand prince is not him. It's Yevolod. Exactly. Because according to Yaroslav the Wise's decree... It should have been him who had inherited the throne, not his damn good-for-nothing, super-corrupt uncle. So Yaropok gathered his Drujina and marched on Kiev. I feel like corruption is sort of 
a relative term when we're talking feudalism because it, when we think corruption it's like okay you take bribes you you know you attack you know you do dirty tricks behind the scenes that's just done out in the open in a feudal system well here's the thing if the chroniclers are writing about it can you imagine how bad it was <laughs> i mean the chroniclers have been known to exaggerate yes but if they're still saying yes you see a lot of super corrupt when most of the government is corrupt He's probably very corrupt. Regardless of that, who do you think Sievolod sent to deal with Yarapok? Deal with Yarapok? I'm guessing he sent our hero. He did send our hero. And Motomak was rather surprised at the situation that Yarapok was actually attacking his dad. Motomak marched with his own Drugina. And then Igor, our messenger, decided to let Yarapok know that Motomak was coming. So Yarapok switched to his brown pants and fled as quickly as possible into Poland. <laughs> Classic move. So Motomak arrived at Lutsk, where Yarapok was entrenched, and the city surrendered rather quickly. He, they saw him coming, they saw his banners, and were like, we surrender, it's okay, we're done. And um, Yarapok left so quickly that he left his family in the palace still, so he just left without them. What a great dad and husband. <laughs> A real family man. It's the kind of ruler that Russia needs. Well, Monomak decided to, you know, chill at the palace for a little bit. And he waited for Yarapok to eventually return to the city. Yarapok did come back and he surrendered to Monomak and begged for forgiveness for his transgressions. Monomak accepted the surrender and sent Yarapok back to his city in Vladimir Volinsky. However, Vasilko and Volidor Rasislavich decided to uh, do some stabby stabby and sent an assassin to kill Yarapok. What are you talking about? That was just a normal, that was just a tragic hunting accident. Exactly, yes. Tragic hunting accident. He's walking back to his city. So Vladimir Volinsky no longer has a prince. So Monomak came and, you know, he cried. He took, and he took part in his, in Yarapok's funeral alongside Sievolod. And then um, things would remain relatively quiet after this whole thing. You know, there's still some infighting and all that, but Monomak's not directly involved. He would assist his, you know, his dad in Kiev as his dad is running the government, and he is also, you know, going back and forth over the Dnieper River, running his own territory, and his family was growing up rather well. Mrs. Slav had a child's first sword. He was learning how to fight alongside his younger brothers, and Githa finally had a daughter, who she and Monomak named the Marina. So that's six children. And then once again, Igor comes back and knocks on the door. And then puts his cap on his chest and looks downtrodden and sad. Is Sievolod dead? Well, Sievolod is extremely ill and he wanted his firstborn to come join him in the capital. Vladimir got on his horse and made haste towards the capital and upon arrival went straight into his father's room, sitting down beside him. He held his dad's hand and then his brother Rostislav came in. Sievolod smiled and with that he passed away in the presence of his two sons. Monomak closed his father's eyes and along with Rostislav, began the funeral processions. Sievolod was buried in Kiev. Can you still find his grave? Yeah, he's in, a, he's in the Church of St. Sophia. Nice. Yeah, so you can still go there as long as the Russians don't blow it up, you know? Yeah, that would probably be inconvenient. I wouldn't want to be in Kiev right now. Glory to Ukraine. You guys can do this. Kick the Russians out, please. <laughs> when the funeral procession ended and Motomak exited from the church, the denizens of Kiev were praising Motomak as the Grand Prince of Kiev. How do you think he felt about this? Probably good. 
It's sort of his birthright. He, when he heard these people praising him, he denied the title and shut himself in the palace. You know, pressure gets to us all. <laughs> he then sends a messenger to bring Sviatopolk Izyaslavich to Kiev, Izyaslav's son. Because Volnomak understood, especially after fighting with Yaropolk Izyaslavich, that if he did not give the throne to an Izyaslavichi, the Rome would descend back into warfare over the throne of Kiev. And they really couldn't afford fighting at this time because there was a lot of Cumans invading all the time. Well, Svetopolk came in, entered the palace in Kiev, and Moromak gave him the, you know, the throne, gave him the crown, and then went back to Chertigov. And after Svetopolk II was crowned as Grand Prince, of course. So now Svetopolk II is the new Grand Prince of Kiev, and we've covered him already. After spending some time in Chernigov, Igor came back and told Monomak that Sviatopolk needed his assistance against the Cumans. Uh, Igor also mentioned some of the juicy details about why they attacked, and that was because Sviatopolk had hot-headedly killed the messengers that the Cubans had sent to sue for peace. So they wanted a peace treaty, and Sviatopolk was like, kill the messenger! Yeah, it's usually a good way to piss off your opposition. Yeah, and Monomak groaned because he thought this was a stupid thing that Sviatopolk did and went with his forces to Kiev. Uh, there, he met with Sviatopolk, and any disagreements that they had, they kind of reconciled over. He didn't bring up the fact that he caused this war? Well, I was about to get to that because there was still, there was still some discourse about between the two of them. You know, they had a few disagreements, but they were still arguing about some things because Monomak wanted to make peace between the Rus and the Cumans, just like straight out of hand, like don't go to war. But Sviatopolk wanted to push for war. And then the Kievans wanted to push for war too. So because of all this and where he was, Monomak had to agree to the Grand Prince's wishes and asked for his brother Rosislav to then join them in the battle against the Cumans. So he got his brother to tag along too. Monomak, Rosislav, and Sviatopolk II marched towards the Stugna River and on the other side of the river, they could see the Cumans. Sviatopolk told the men to begin crossing the river, and Monomak stopped him, suggesting that they just make a show of force and make peace with the Cumans. It's like, hey, no need for bloodshed. We have a big army. Let's just make peace here, because if, if we cross, they're going to kick our ass. And then Sviatopolk rolled his eyes and continued the, the order to have his troops cross the river, ignoring the fact that the river was at its most swollen for the day. It was filled of water and it was raging down. The army crossed and were pretty exhausted and they still had to continue marching towards the Cumans. Modomak led the left wing, Rosislav had the center, and Sviatopolk led the right wing. The Cumans charged forward with their horsemen and put pressure on Sviatopolk. However, Sviatopolk isn't a great commander and the Kievan troops began to retreat under the pressure. With the right wing broken, the Cumans then swung to the left wing where Modomak was and they just started fighting. Monomak did his best to control the battle, but with missing like a third of his of the army, um, and his brother also trying to struggling against who he was fighting, he had to order a retreat. Uh, the Monomak's men were pushed towards the river, and Monomak, seeing no way out, called on his men to jump into the water and cross and cross the river, because at this point it was either get killed by the Cumans or swim across and try to live another day or just drown. So, what would be your options if you had to like? Fight the Cumans, try to cross a river, or drown. Um, probably, don't you mean fight the Cumans or cross the river and drown? Yeah. Um, probably fight the Cumans. Well, he did choose cross the river. Well, and then Monomak signaled to his brother Rosislav that they were retreating, and the two brothers jumped into the river and began to swim across. 
you know, they're swimming in tandem, you know, kind of like in sync. Yeah. yeah, synchronized swimming. Yeah, exactly. So they were just doing like nice movements. This is how they were raiding the, the Cuban arrows, you know. Uh, but Bodomok became a bit too focused on crossing and then reached the, the banks of the river on the other side. He was very out of breath and then looked to the side, hoping to see his brother. Except Rosislav was not there. He looked back at the river and he could see his brother being swept away by the current downstream. Motomak ran after his brother, yelling at Rosislav to grab onto anything he could find, but Rosislav then got swept under the water and was not seen again by Motomak. Motomak collapsed on the embankment, wheezing for air, and he punched the ground repeatedly, wailing loudly at the loss of his brother, because real men did cry back in the midi voyages. And the remaining members of his drujina, who had not drowned or been killed, came to Motomak and pulled him up, reminding him that, hey, there's a bunch of Cuban arrows coming your way. You need to live because there's still men alive and we got to get back home. So Bonomac led his troops back to Chernigov with an extremely heavy heart. The Cubans then marauded the countryside after having beaten the Rus and they stole and burnt the areas around. Bonomac sent a search party to check for his brother's corpse and it was found stuck between rocks, which he then took back home to bury. Right when Bonomac had retreated and was exhausted from the war against the Cubans, uh, his Regina's members barged into the room and mentioned something horrible was happening. Because can you guess who was coming to Chernigov? The Cubans? No. We, we covered him last episode. What's his name? Boris and... Boris is dead, but who's the other person? I don't know. I forget. Boris was the only one without a forgettable name. Well, it was Alieg of Chernigov. And Alieg of Chernigov had began to besiege Chernigov. Because <laughs> he wanted the city back really badly. Motomak turned extremely pale. He didn't have enough men to attack Alieg head-on, so he ordered for the city to be as fortified as possible. Motomak waited inside the walls, and Alieg took this chance to let his Cuban warriors pillage the monasteries in the territory around them. After a few weeks, Chernigov was battered, hungry, and exhausted. Motomak sued for peace and gave Alieg control of the city, and then he went back to the other territory that he held, Periaslavl, where his father had once ruled, because guess what? Rostislav was dead. He wasn't controlling it anymore. Uh, however, the Cubans decided to raid Monomak's territory in Periaslavl, and Monomak was able to defeat them pretty easily. When he's fighting by himself, he's great, except when he's being besieged. Not, he was already bruised and battered from that, so Alieg took a good chance on that one. However, the Cuban chieftain of the raiding Cubans, Itlar, and his retainer, Kitan, came to forge a peace deal with Monomak. Itlar was given leave to enter Periaslavl, while Catan remained with the Cuban forces outside of the city. Vladimir then handed his son, Sviatoslav, over as a hostage to Catan to ensure Itlar's safety in the city. Pretty normal thing, right? Yeah, seems normal. You have hostages, you hand them over. However, there was another man inside Periaslavl, and his name is Slavyata. It's a cool name. That's a fun name. It's just Slav with Yata at the end. Uh, well, Slavyata was one of Sviatopolk's retainers, the, you know, the Grand Prince, who had come to Periaslavl to promote Sviatopolk's interests in the peace deal that Monomak was making with Itlar. However, before Itlar entered the palace, Slavyata made a suggestion to Monomak. Can you guess what that suggestion was? No. So what would Sviatopolk order someone to do that he's known to do with messengers. Kill them? Yes. He made Slavyato suggest to Monomak that instead of making a peace deal with the Cuban troops, he should just kill them all. And Monomak said, I can't agree with that. Because first of all, 
my son's with the Cubans right now. And second of all, this would break every rule of guest right and pledges of safety that we just made with the Cumans. Why would I ever do that? And then Slavyata countered this by saying, would you like to read this? Sure. Oh, Prince, there is no sin entailed for you in this deed. They constantly swear oaths to you, and yet they bring incessant ruin on the land of Rus and constantly shed Christian blood. Monomach crossed himself and proceeded to use this as very good logic as an excuse to act against the Cumans. Seems like a bad idea. He sent Slavyata out of the city to retrieve his son Sviatoslav from the Cumans, along with killing Kitan and the Cuman force in their camp. So he basically had them all murdered while they were sleeping. What, did he get his son in the meantime? Well... Or the messengers, rather. Uh, but first off, we got to think about Itlar, who's the chieftain who's making this peace deal. Well, he was sleeping in the palace with his escort, and therefore was very ignorant about what was going to happen to Kitan and his men. Igor walks into the guest room the following morning and invites Itlar to join Monomach for breakfast. So, it, Igor, our messenger. However, before the Cubans could join the Grand Prince, Monomach ordered them to go into the bathhouse and get clean. <laughs> We're pulling a uh, pulling an Olga here, I see. <laughs> Yo. Well, Itlar and his men entered the bathhouse, uh, and while they were washing, Monomach's men placed a bar on the door and locked them in. Now, we pan the scene up from the men as they sing cumin, and we can see spawn indentations appearing on the roof. They're ignoring this. And then as it goes, you know, you see the straw moving up, and then you see Monomach's men with bows in their hands, and they're looking through the smoke hole. And you can see the, you know, the Cuban men's happily bathing away with the smoke covering their, their body parts. So Monomach's men then drew their bows and fired. The first arrow went through Itlar's heart and he collapsed into the water. Blood spread throughout the water. The Cubans looked up and in horror attempted to escape. The door was budged and was locked and then arrows continued to just rain down on them. And then you see just the water going from like a slight shade of red to just dark. Then we go to Kitan and his men. Well, what was happening there was that Slaviata and a few other people managed to steal their way into the Cuban camp. They found Sviatoslav grabbed him, took him out of the camp, and then proceeded to kill everyone in the camp while they were sleeping. What do you think this did? <laughs> this whole event of murder and... Um, I think that the Cumans probably killed the hostage. No, Sviatoslav was saved. Ah. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay. You just said that. Yeah. I see. Okay. That wasn't clear. Yeah, so Sviatoslav was saved, and everyone else got murdered. <laughs> So, hostage is dead, everyone's dead, all the Cubans are dead. How do you think the Cubans would react to this? I think they went back to war. Well, they did go back to war, and Sviatopolk, as always, was ready to make war against the Cubans. So, he and Moromak came together and called for Alieg of Chernigov to aid them in a fight against the Cubans. What did Alieg say? I mean, do you have to ask? I'm asking you. Alieg Chernigov, the guy he was just fighting, said, hey, we need your help to fight the Cubans. Well, he's Prince of Chernigov now, so... Right. Well, he did, he did give Prince Dumb of Chernigov to him, right? Yeah. So what do you think Alieg said when... Uh, probably yes, I guess. No, you said it last episode. Comically a big typewriter. Yeah, yeah. Um, He put out, like, a comically large quill and pen. I'm talking, like, a quill, yeah, a quill pen that's, like, five feet tall. And he, like, went over to a comically large inkwell and he was, like, dip, dip, dip. He said it out loud and wrote, no. In very, very fancy lettering. That is exactly what he did. He said no. 
then he had like a in like small letters on the bottom, really, really tiny letters. I will attack on my own terms. Motomak and Sviatopolk were pissed, but they couldn't do anything about it because they had just started a war with the Cubans. Motomak and Sviatopolk made their way to the Cuban encampment and defeated the Cubans and captured all the stuff that the Cubans had stolen from them. And then once they returned to their respective cities, Monomak sent a of Chernigov a message saying this. Can you read it for us, Brendan? All right. You do not accompany us upon our attack against the pagans who have brought ruin upon Rus. You have a son of Itlar at your court. Either kill him or deliver him up to us, for he is an enemy of Rus. Wow, just go in full scorched earth. Yep. And Alieg said? No. With this refusal, Modamak and Sviatopolk ordered Alieg to come to Kiev so he could explain his actions. Alieg said? No. So Modamak penned a very angry message and then sent it to Alieg under Igor the Messenger's cautious care. And this message said... You neither attack the pagans nor join us in council. You are plotting against us and desire to aid the pagans. God must judge between us. And they went off to war. So Modomak and Svalopolk v. Alieg of Chernigov. The... What a stupid, <laughs> what a stupid turn of events. Alieg of Chernigov fled from Chernigov to a more defensible position in Starodub. And Modomak and Svalopolk besieged the town of Starodub and were able to repel multiple st- uh, sallies from the Starodubians. You say it was Sar- Sardoldub? Starodub. Starodub. So a lot of like the names in here are undeniably cool. Like Vasilko, Kaitan, but Yardledub, what is it, Startledub? Yeah. Startledub is like the first one of these where I'm like, whose silly ass city name is this? <laughs> I even, I know Startle is like old Dub and then Dub means something, but I don't remember what Dub means. Mm. Editing Roberto here. Startledub means old oak. Well, they besieged the city of Stadeldub and repelled multiple sallies from the citizens. What is a city's worst friend when you're being besieged? Running out of supplies? Yes, and if running out of supplies makes you... Uh, the loser of the siege? No. It's, you feel it in your stomach. Um, heartburn. I don't, you feel heartburn in your stomach? Are you okay? <laughs> I'm not okay, but thank you for asking. No, so the city began to starve. So Alieg sued for peace, and peace was granted to Alieg. Monomak ordered Alieg to come to Kiev alongside his brother David. So uh, Chernigov was stripped from Alieg and handed over to David Sviatoslavich. After this war against Alieg, Gesu decided to come back and attack the areas surrounding Periaslavl. Humans. The Cumans. And this time they were led by Tugur Khan, Sviatopolk's father-in-law. Monomak and Sviatopolk marched to attack Tugur Khan, and they crossed the Dnieper River, avoiding the Cubans' detection, and made their way towards the Cuban force. Uh, Monomak's troops, seeing their home being attacked, charged the Cubans despite Monomak's orders to wait. What do you think happened to the men? Um, did they all die? Well, now that you say that, um, they caught the Cubans by surprise, and then the Cubans started to retreat. But the forces caught up with them and slaughtered the Cubans. So... They killed the Cubans, and Tugur Khan hmm. himself was killed in the fight. And with the battle of the Cubans out of the way, dear cousin Alieg was very upset about losing his territory again. So he gathered up his troops to attack Muram, which was held by Monomak's second eldest son, Izyaslav. Izyaslav moved to defend Muram from his invading cousin, and they faced off in battle, but Izyaslav lost his life in the battlefield. 
culminating with Alieg taking the city. So Alieg basically calls the death of, of one of Monomach's sons. However, we see Izislav's elder brother and Monomach's eldest son, Mstislav, go ahead and march against Alieg, and then he managed to defeat the former prince of Chetengolf in battle, which then um, culminated in the in the end of the Chetengolf War of Succession, which then led the princes to meet in Lubitsch to form the Lubitsch Accords. So mm-hmm. we have covered this in detail already. I gotta say, this is this is one of like. I mean, it's an interesting series of events, but it's also very dumb. First, you give you want to avoid war with what's his face of Chernigov. So they just give him Chernigov. And then they go to war anyway. Well, he lost. He attacked. He didn't join him with the Cumans. So they went, they went to fight him again. And it's like, come on. You, all because he didn't join you, you want to fight him. I'm guessing this is mostly Sviatopolk because Sviatopolk was the one who wanted to go to war all the time. Blame him, which we did in his episode. Yeah. Well... He lost his son, but he's got four more. It's fine. Yeah. As, since we've covered this in detail, the, the Lubitsch Accords, let's just do the TLDR version. Is that okay with you? Mm-hmm. Essentially, the TLDR for the Lubitsch Accords is that the princes now have peace between them, and if they decide to... If one prince decides to attack another prince, the rest of the princes would support the defender in case the... Would support the defender, basically. So, let's say... I don't know, Sviatopolk decides to attack on Vasilko. Everyone would defend Vasilko and fight against Sviatopolk. For example, but this was mainly put to test when Davidi Gordievich and Sviatopolk II blinded Vasilko and attacked him and took his land. So our example became true. And uh, this just was this just wouldn't do because the Grand Prince of Kiev had basically broken the accords that he basically called to be made. So Motomak gathered Alyeg and David of Cherdigov to attack Sviatopolk II and Davidi Gorievich. And they did. And the three princes went towards Kiev and made camp within the forest. And they sent Igor, our messenger, to ask Sviatopolk some questions. So you will play the role Igor, and I will play the role of Sviatopolk. Does that sound good to you? Okay. What is this crime you have committed in the land of Rus, and thus have cast a sword among us? Why have you blinded your cousin? If there was any charge against him, you should have accused him before us, and after properly convicting him, you could have treated him as he deserved. Now you plain this fault for which you so punished him. <laughs> and then Sviatopolk responded, David! The son of Igor said to me, Vasilko killed your brother Yaropolk, and likewise intends to kill you and seize your domain of Turov, Pinsk, Brest, and the Pogorina. He has sworn an oath to Vladimir that Vladimir shall reign in Kiev, and he himself in the city of Vladimir. I had to take my precautions, but it was David and not I who blinded him and carried him home. Do not seek to excuse yourself for this crime on the ground that David did the actual blinding. Vasilko was not seized and blinded in David's city but in your own. <laughs> and then with that, Igor went and told the princes who were sitting in the forest waiting around to see what Sviatopolk had to say. And uh, this answer did just not do. So Monomach and the princes of Chetigov mustered their forces together and attempted to cross the Dnieper River to besiege Kiev. And on hearing this report, Sviatopolk attempted to escape from the city but the Kievans told him, you cannot leave us alone here. We know what Sviatopolk did the last time. You are not leaving us alone. So then the Kievans decided to um, get mom involved. And they brought Anna Polovetskaya, who's Monomach's stepmother, 
and the Metropolitan Nicholas, who's like kind of like the head of the church in Rus, to parlay with Monomach. Anna Nicholas pleaded with Monomach, saying, We beseech you, all prince and your brethren, not to ruin the land of Rus. <laughs> For if you get hostilities among yourselves, the pagans will rejoice and seize our country, which was won by your sires and grandsires by waging war with great courage throughout the land of Rus, added other territories to it. But you were in a fair way to destroy the whole country. When Vladimir heard their request, he came to tears and exclaimed, Verily, our fathers and our grandsires took thought for this land which we are trying to destroy. End quote. He obeyed the Metropolitans and his stepmom's wish, because he held his stepmom in very high regard, and proceeded to diplomatically resolve things with Sjatopolk. However, with that, Monomak and the Prince of Chernigov's assisted in the fights of Sjatopolk against David Gorievich. There were more battles than that, but we covered those in Sjatopolk the Seconds episodes once. And then uh, now we go skip forward a bunch of time and we meet up at Gorodietz once um, Sjatopolk decided to turn turncoat and attack Vasilko Rostislavich. He was, be- he was defeated and then um, he had to sign a peace treaty at Gorodietz. However, once Monomak returned to Paraslavl, he heard the news that his wife of almost 30 years, Githa of Wessex, had passed away. Goodbye, Githa. And then, after a 40-day mourning period, Monomach was married to Euphemia of Constantinople. <laughs> it doesn't seem to have been all that broken up about it, but hey, there are more marriages of... There are more political marriages. It didn't take long for this marriage to bear another child, and Monomach had three more sons. At once? No. I'm just not going to say when they're born. Because... <laughs> It's not important at this point, except for one son, Yuri. Yuri is going to be very important, and you'll find out why later on. However, this whole celebration of having newborn life in, in, his, in his household, you know, with how many sons does he have left? Seven? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven. So, okay, so Monomak had seven kids, had, seven, had eight sons and three daughters, four daughters. Mm. He had a bunch of kids. So this celebration of life was short-lived, uh, and Monomax called his cousins and other princes at Ovietici to discuss a peace treaty amongst them once more because of Sviatopolk II and Davidi Gordievici's, you know, BS stuff. And, you know, on all the wars that they started, Davidi Gordievich was put on trial with Monomak basically heading the, the tribunal and Alieg and David um, Sviatoslavich presiding over the, the case. They stripped Davidi Gordievich of his territory in Vladimir Volinsky and made sure that he and his family could no longer inherit any land. The Grand Prince Sviatopolk felt a lot of pity for his cousin because they were pretty good friends, so he decided to give David Igordievich a backwater town to rule over. Very nice of him. It's like, oh, you have no land? Here's this POS swamp. With that, Rus had a period of peace, at least within the territory. Because guess who came back? Humans? The Cumans. But Monomach and the rest of the princes actually came together and they made a peace treaty with the Cumans and exchanged hostages until it all worked out. Once this was done, Sviatopolk and Monomach decided to go back home and they, you know, sent letters to each other and decided to exchange territories. Monomach would get Vladimir Volensky and Sviatopolk would get Novgorod. However, the Novgorodians were not too happy with this because Monomach's son, Mrs. had been in charge of Novgorod for like the last few years. 
And the Novgorodians basically said, oh, yes, feel free to send a Seattlepok son, but if you, if you send him, he may not have a head when he comes back. So uh, with this threat, Mrslav Vladimirovich was able to stay in Novgorod. And then um, one day, Monomak went to church and was praying and praying and praying. And then he received inspiration from God for a noble project. Building a church? No, even better. Building a monastery? Nope. <laughs> Building a cathedral? <laughs> well. But don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. It's not a church, it's not a monastery. Building a library? No. Building, build, building an orphanage? That'd be too nice, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, it, it's a vision that comes from God. I'd expect it to be kind of nice. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you sort of find out? Yeah. Well, with this vision and inspiration from God for this noble project, he goes to Kiev and talks wait, to... Wait, his... wait, 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 wait. B- building a chain of bar and grills. No. <laughs> well, he goes to Sviatopolk in Kiev and they discuss fighting the Cumans. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Whatever god he was praying to, he should stop listening. Well, he got this divine inspiration for this beautiful attack against the Cumans. And then Sviatopolk, of all people, was concerned about how this war could affect the peasants in their fields. No, he wasn't. He didn't give a f- He was like, my cousin, but what, 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 you know, starting hostilities with the Cumans would destroy the peasants in fields, you know. And then, they can, and then we can't tax them because they have nothing. Exactly. So Monomach scoffed at this idea and responded with this, with this quote. Can you read it for us? <laughs> I'm surprised, comrades, that you concern yourselves for the beast with which the peasant plows. Why do you not bear in mind that as soon as the peasant begins his plowing, the cumin will come, shoot him down with his bolt, seize his horse, ride on into his village, and carry off his wife, his children, and all his property? Are you concerned for the horse and not for the peasant himself? Well, looks like Monomach's caring about the people. Somehow, hmm. it's like, oh, Southpolk. Oh no, the industry of goods is going to be gone bad for a year. Monomak, well, stop the Cubans now, and the people can live forever. Southpolk was left speechless for a bit, and after some thought, decided that he would join Monomak in this battle. And Monomak was like, you know, there's going to be, you know, stopping the Cubans would bring so many benefits and stability to Rus that all those things you were talking about earlier would happen every year, especially if the, you know, the Cubans stop raiding for multiple years. Um, so better to have permanent reprieve instead of a temporary one. And then um, with that, Monomak and Sviatopolk invited Cherdigov to join them. David said yes, but Alieg said no. Yeah, he, he had a stomach ache and couldn't attend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, stomach ache. Oh... Well, Monomak embraced Sviatopolk and kissed him on the cheeks, and they went to Perislavl to muster the forces because Perislavl was kind of on the border. Uh, and once all together, they, you know, they went towards the, the eastern border of Rus by boat and on horseback. They met up with the Cuban forces, caught them by surprise, and slaughtered the whole darn group. I was just thinking, I don't know, they seem to have a good track record against the Cumans. I don't... Why are they so afraid? Mono Mac has a good track record against the Cubans. But the Cubans aren't just one big group. They're multiple smaller tribes. So you can take out one, but you're still going to have another tribe come back. So it's just trying to get like to get them on their all big group to kind of take them out. The three cousins managed to kill about 20 Cuban chieftains. 
during this time. Except they had they left one survivor, and Sviatopolk managed to capture him. But because this was Monomach's campaign, Sviatopolk sent this chieftain named Beldews to Monomach, and Monomach berated Beldews for his and his tribe's raids on Rus territory despite their oaths. And Monomach said, Have you noticed how your former oath has brought you to ruin? Though you often gave pledges, you continue to harass the land of Rus. Why did you not admonish your sons and your kinsmen not to violate their oaths by the shedding of Christian blood? Your blood be upon your own head. And with that, Monomach ordered that Beldews be hacked to pieces. <laughs> ah. uh, it's been a long time since we've had like an absurdly gruesome death. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? The defeat of the Cuban encampment once more allowed them to take many goods, such as cattle, gold, and slaves. Just so you know, every time the Rus take people from the Cubans, they also take slaves. Uh, I just haven't been mentioning it, but I'm mentioning it now. The Rus are still enslaving people. That's the thing. Okay. A few years after this Cuban slaughter, we have another... Cuban invasion? Yes. Um, and we met him in Sviatopolk's episode. His name is Bonyaz, and he started running around raiding Rus. So Monomak gathered his cousins to fight against Bonyak, and they met with him at Lubni. The Cubans began to retreat at seeing Monomach's banners, but they lost their coordination and the Rus were basically able to cut them down and their camp was taken over and they took a lot of slaves. And once they were able to gather some of the other chieftains, they brought all the prince, all the Cuban princes together and they brought in some Rus princes and they made a peace treaty. And during this peace treaty, Monomach had his son Yuri marry Agiorovna the daughter of Ayapat, son of Osin, a Cuban chieftain. So they, they kind of solidified it with the marriage. And mm -hmm. then three years later, Monomach joined the other princes to fight the Cumans, but returned to Perislavo after he was able to drive them back to the Voina River. And then I regret to say this with a very big tear in my eye, but this is when the Chronicles end. And mm -hmm. we transition to the Kievan and Iconian Chronicles. And then it finally happened in... 1113, the Grand Prince Sviatopolk II died in Kiev, leaving the throne open for someone to take. I mean, yes, there was a war of succession. Well, we'll find out what we record next time. Whoa.